0: Welcome to Reimagine the Contact Center. I'm your host, Mark Bernstein. And my guest today is our very own Jody Heen, customer support advocate at Balto. Jody Heen, how are you?
1: Good. How are you, Mark?
0: I am amazing. I am so glad you're here.
1: I don't think I could be more excited to be here. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Amazing. It's fun because we were talking just a few months ago, and you were saying that one of uh, your career aspirations is to be on a podcast.
1: I didn't know if I should bring that up or not, but that is literally this is a dream fulfilled. So I'm not going to be putting in my resignation tomorrow or anything, but I just am really excited. I don't even know why. I think I just really like podcasts. So
0: I need to be on amazing. One. Well, plenty more dreams coming, Jody. It was really interesting because you know, when we were thinking about what the content would be for today's episode. I realized that you just have such a unique perspective in that you are doing customer support at Balto. And Balto is a company that works to enable customer support people to be as awesome as humanly possible. So you have this really interesting like, inside perspective on how Balto views support. And also this perspective as a customer support advocate for our customers. So I was thinking that for today's episode, we could focus on how did you get uh, here today? Where do you want to go and and what is it like? Like almost inside the mind of the customer support advocate?
1: Yeah, that sounds awesome.
0: Cool. Well, to start, Jody, I noticed that you studied art history at Vanderbilt. That is a interesting background that I think a lot of CSAs probably don't have. Can you talk a little bit about your experience there?
1: Yeah, well, I am um, I love going to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, and it's a pretty rigorous school. So I think it actually in a lot of ways prepared me for Balto because there's a high work, high play sort of mentality. Um, Art history itself really came because I studied that in high school and really loved it and really loved my teacher. But it was one of those things where I um, I took more classes in college and really liked it. And I had this mentality that, you know, I'm going to a four-year university, pretty much I can figure out my life Path after that, as long as I get a degree. So I'll just enjoy what I'm studying here. I don't know if since I would necessarily recommend that, I think having a little bit more business acumen or something a little bit more tangible might have been helpful. But while I was there, I really enjoyed studying art history, especially because it, I think, in a way, it's history, it's sociology, it's art all within one subject matter. And I really loved my professors because it was a really, it was a diverse set of people who all had very different backgrounds and different mentalities on life. So I think it it was neat to sort of study culture, but have a visual element to it, um, which I like to say, help me remember things better. A lot of it's gone now, but I think even just learning to study culture and think about it, be a student of culture was really important
0: a student of culture. What a what a cool way to put that.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's something my partner and I talk a lot about and he's really pushed me to think about how can we be curious about the people around us and curious about our society um and ask a lot of questions. I think that's something you do really well Mark just so you know.
0: Thank yeah. you Jody. So what are some of the things like where does your curiosity lead you in the business world when you're thinking about people and society and business and how organizations interact or what your customers need? Like, What are some of the themes you notice that your curiosity takes you to?
1: Something that's I think I've learned to be more curious about lately is how the people that use Balta themselves um, are agents. Yeah. How they interact, not just with Balta, but just with their job. What does a contact center agent do during the day? Because I think that's something that I don't have any experience in personally. And I think it's it's something I wasn't so curious about until I started getting on the phones or on Zoom with them and seeing what their screen interface looked like, what it looked like to take calls. And that can really differ from person to person. But I think the bigger theme for me is I am I am a very detail-oriented person. I think a lot of folks in support are, and it's a great trait because you... You want to see, like investigate details. But I think that makes me really curious about, okay, what does this person wake up and do from minute to minute? Not so much the big picture of their day, but I'm always really curious about how they spend each interaction of their time or how they interact with other people. That's what makes me really curious.
0: And what have you noticed there? Like, how are they spending their time?
1: Is it art, particularly with agents or just, Mm -hmm. Yeah. From what I understand, there's not a lot of time in between calls. I think that just, well, what's cool about our customer base is there are a ton of different types of customers, but I think a lot of agents in the contact center are just taking calls one after another. There's maybe some time in between to sort of take your notes and then move on, but a lot of it is just a very fast-paced day. Maybe a lot of calls tend to be the same, but... Just one customer interaction after another. So,
0: You mentioned uh, detail orientation being something that you have and that a lot of folks in customer support have. Are there any other personality clusters that you've seen? Obviously, people come in all different shapes and sizes, so to speak. But are there any other personality clusters where you noticed, you know, the agents who feel like they're most engaged and doing the best job and taking care of the best customers tend to kind of look like this? What is the profile of a great agent?
1: Definitely active listening. I think I know that that's something you talk about on the podcast a lot, but I think it makes sense, you know, especially if you're going to have an interaction with a customer and then one right after that, the ones I've seen that do a really good job are listening very well and are engaged in not only what they know they need to. Like if I'm on the phone with someone for an insurance call, they're not just checking off the boxes of what i need but they are listening to what i've asked and they're they're hoping to go above and beyond that in terms of any further questions they ask or any extra details they're trying to get out of our call
0: i'm just curious about your perspective jody do you think that listening can be trained like i do i think there's specific ways you can do it And I know I definitely completely just biased your answer there. But I'm curious, like, you know, do you think that listening can be trained? And and if so, like, what have you noticed helps people be a better listener? And you can bring it in the contact center, you can bring it outside the contact center, however you want to take that.
1: Funny, there's an article that's coming to mind. Um, I read it, it was over a year ago, but it just really stuck with me because it was giving tips on how to not only actively listen, but also be an empathetic listener. And so I definitely think it's, It can be trained. I think what's tricky is it's (laughs) probably more in our nature to talk than to listen. I don't think that's true of every single person ever, but um, I think some of those skills include not just waiting to speak, but training your mind to be listening to what the other person's saying. Another thing is kind of to tag along with that, um, being able to speak back what the other person has said. And especially do it in a way that's not at all biased, (laughs) not taking their words and spinning them, but saying back to them what they have spoken. Um, Yeah. And I think even the idea of asking follow-up questions that help you understand even more, not just uh, asking questions because you're supposed to not just chiming in with what you've been waiting to say the whole time, but being able to show that you've understood what they've said and with that you want to ask a question to promote understanding.
0: Yeah, there's definitely almost two flavors of of active listening and sometimes it's people who are using the technique without actually really perceiving what the other person is thinking or feeling. And I think we've all had this experience where someone rephrases what you say and they're like, "Is that correct?" and you're like, not really, but you kind of want to give them a, a little nugget. So you're like, oh, that's pretty close, but, and then you clarify, which is a good thing because, you know, that creates, you know, understanding after that moment, right? If you're able to correct them, the fact that they asked, even if they were, they may have been off the mark the first time, does provide them additional information on their perspective, where previously they would have just kept going down that route, thinking that you were thinking something different. Now, because they uh, turned it back to you and asked you to clarify, they are getting more information. But the second flavor of active listening, I would almost say, is folks who are not just saying the words that you said, but channeling the intent that you Mm -hmm. had, right? And that's one of the reasons I think paraphrasing can be so powerful when properly done, because that's saying, like, here's what I heard using my words, not your words, my words, but your thoughts. And that's a really cool way to, I think, connect two individuals and bridge them in a conversation.
1: I agree. I feel like I'm overly verbose or can't quite articulate what I'm saying a lot of the time. But um, Noah, my manager, he's really good at saying it back to me. And I'm like, oh, I like what you said even better. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I meant. So I appreciate that as well.
0: Yeah, it does make you feel understood. When the other person says your thought back to you in... Smart words, you're like, hey, my thought was a smart thought. They just added the right words to it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I appreciate that.
0: So, then, Jody, right before you started in customer support at Balto, you were, I think, managing events. Could you talk a little bit about what you were doing before Balto and, and uh, what made you say, you know, I think I might want to try a career in tech? I might want to try a career in support and, you know, how you got to where you got. Yeah,
1: I'd be happy to talk about that. I um, worked at WashU, where I believe you were a student at one time. And I worked with faculty there in the business school to help plan events, which I did get that job in July of 2019. So it was not right at COVID, but a little bit before. And even then, I think, I don't know, it was an interesting job in that I, I did learn a ton about customer support because the faculty at WashU, one would want to have an event that was on econometrics and a seminar where he used to bring in people from all over the world. And then with COVID-19, we had to pivot to it being a fully virtual event, which was really neat. But then on the other hand, there were a bunch of accounting professors that had done a specific seminar for 20 years the same way. So just learning how to cater to those different needs and not out of an attitude that it was a chore, but the excitement of, oh, what will this professor want? What will this professor want in terms of how they want the, the event to go? But I also, funny enough, on a Zoom call with Zoom support in November of 2019, and the guy who was on the other line was able to read some probably HTML code. I'm not really sure what it was, but he read what looked like a foreign language to me. And he was like, oh, I see what went wrong. And he was able to rectify the problem. And I was like, that was the coolest experience ever. Just having him be able to jump on a call. He was able to fix my problem and listen to me. And from then on, I I was able to do a computer programming boot camp. I had thought about jumping in to different parts of a tech company. Um, But customer support seemed to be one of the best bridges where I could use the new skills I had from this boot camp, but also use a bunch of transferable skills from my job before. And um, it's been really sweet ever since. Just getting the I think it is a really good marriage of those things.
0: Yeah. One of the things that I, I talk about all the time is how good of a launching pad it is for the next thing you want to do. Before Balto, I owned a business called Doorstep Fitness. And it was personal training, direct your home office or local park. And we had a team of five i think maybe six of the max trainers at a time and built up this awesome client base in the DC area and one of the biggest takeaways that i had from building that business was talking to clients and like really doing support support for you know i didn't like my trainer or i didn't i want to pay differently i'd like to prepay i'd like to you know have Uh, somebody else join my sessions? Can they join my sessions? That sort of reactive customer focus, I definitely, I I understood and learned how to hear customers and deliver precisely what they're asking for. I think that precision is so underrated because a lot of times people say, I heard the customer, so I'll just throw everything at them. And then one of the things they'll like. But the problem is if like, you're giving the customers five solutions and only one of them works, there's an 80% chance that the first solution they try isn't a good one. And then the customer has some extra level of dissatisfaction or they might give up. Mm -hmm. The pairing, just like in sales, the pairing of hearing the customer need with a very precise solution that makes them go, you get me. That's it. That's what I wanted. Like that's, that's what I think like the heart is of good customer support. And then, of course, there's the whole proactive element, which is now emerging in like the customer success and retention world, which is super cool. And Jody, I know you've gotten a lot of exposure to that too. Maybe have you noticed any differences in the philosophy of customer success versus customer support, or you know, different practices you've pulled from customer success that you find yourself using and appreciating?
1: Yeah, I think um, customer success is still something I'm eager to learn more about. I think. One way we work really well together with support and success is kind of this back and forth of either we spot there could be a technical problem. And so we check in with a customer success manager and they are able to often give an operational response for what's going on. You know, oh, we see there's something that could be going on. They say, oh, no, well, this is there's a test or they're out of the office today or they're in a training. So there's no problem that we can spot And then on the other hand, if they spot an issue and they can be an advocate for their customer for support, then we're able to have a really their details, the way a customer success manager can give so much context to problems. It doesn't necessarily make that support interaction more important, but it gives us so much more information that can help us get to that precise answer that you you mentioned, or at least the next best precise troubleshooting step as opposed to throwing out five different ones so
0: that makes a ton of sense so that kind of maybe talks a little bit about like the career path you know do you have an idea now of where you'd like to take your career or different areas you want to explore like what is your thinking on all that right now that's a great question
1: i think there are times where even just the idea that there there are positions like chief experience officer just that that is a whole growing um, field, especially in the tech world. And even that nuance of, well, what's support versus success versus experience for a customer? I don't really know, but it's that I think um, when I think about the future, that's definitely a field that really excites me. Um, So I, in terms of a detailed answer, I don't have one for you, but that's kind of like my big picture thought is how can we, continue to explore that even at Balto. Um, Not that I think the way we have it set up now is great, but even as we grow, where does that fit in? Or is that not necessarily part of how we think of support and customer support and customer success. But I think that field has always excited me customer experience.
0: What about it excites you?
1: I think it seems to have everything tied up in it. You know, it's, How do we give awesome support? How do we give great sales and expansion opportunities so that a customer is a fanatic about our product? Also, how do we keep that proactive edge of, I think a lot of what we do now is education, which is great, um, empowering our customers to use a product well. And so I think that nomenclature fits it really well, but that could also be maybe I don't know. I think I could also just delve into what customer success means as well. I think there's funny because it's how much nuance is there between all these different terms? I'm not really sure, but that's something I can be curious about as well. So
0: Totally. The interconnectivity component I see is huge. The fact that so many different important functions of the business go through it, the ability to educate a customer. So next time they're better off, The ability to solve a problem that customers having right now so they can continue to get value from your product or service. The ability to channel information back into the org about here's the problems that we're seeing. The ability to channel that information to the customer success team saying, hey, watch out for this customer. They've been having trouble recently. The fact that it is so interconnected with so many crucial functions of the business makes customer support really special.
1: I agree with that. And I love that what that looks like on a day-to-day basis is getting to collaborate with all of those different spheres. Um, Getting to work with folks in customer education getting to work with customer success. I feel like that's something I I really appreciate about this job is it doesn't feel super siloed off. I I get to collaborate.
0: Yeah. So you're still thinking through what is the next step? And by the way, no pressure. It's funny because like our society very much puts a lot of pressure on the question of what's next versus what's now. And I understand why that is. I think it's if you don't have a framework of what's next, you kind of find yourself wherever you landed, uh, which in some ways is a good thing, some ways is a bad thing, uh, but certainly kind of gives you overall like less control over your path. And a lot of folks, I think, care most about the control, even if it's uh, frustrating or annoying to have that control even if it's painful to be making the decisions in the moment. A lot of folks like to make the decisions regardless. So I'm curious for you Jody, you know, what are just some of the different paths that you would want to explore? You mentioned customer success, you mentioned customer experience. You know, obviously both those things are customer related, but could you imagine going to marketing? <laughs> could you imagine going to sales? Could you imagine Going to something totally different, and NGOs and nonprofits and peace Corps, I don't know. Um, <laughs> if you join the Peace Corps, let me know. but could you imagine going you know what are the, some of the other directions that you'd like to explore there?
1: I think as you were asking that, the way I was framing the question is like, well, anywhere you put me at Balto, I feel like I could be pretty happy because I think in every department, there's a spirit of excitement um, and a sense of direction and, and an appreciation for each person here. So I think you could plot me in any department, I'd be pretty happy to be there. I think in terms of my skill set, I'm not quite sure. I think, uh, I, I just really enjoy interacting with people, especially like this, whether that's getting to play kind of a department liaison, what you were talking about with that interconnectivity, you know, how can I help, everybody stay connected and stay on the same page and um, learn from one another. Uh, I don't mind sales, but it um, intimidates me a little bit. And I think that goes with customer success some too. I think the product team is pretty amazing here. And I think product is a really, is fascinating to me. The not only the way that it touches so many departments, but also the way that um, I think I've heard it said that The customer, they need to be the most customer-centric department and person in the company. Um, And it's fascinating to me how in product you take this jumble of intangible ideas and make it into something that the customer is using four months down the road or six months down the road or a year down the road. That is crazy to me and would be really special to be a part of that. So,
0: Yeah, Jody, I'll shout out product for a second. I feel the exact same way. You know, product team will say, okay, we're going to go do three weeks of interviews. And then, you know, you get to the end of the three weeks, and, you know, I'll start getting impatient. And I'm looking at my metaphorical watch saying, okay, come on, you haven't you done enough interviews? And they say, great, interviews are done. We need two more weeks to come up with an idea. And I'm like, two more weeks? Are you serious? We just spent five weeks doing this. And they said, yep, this is how the process works. And then five weeks, you know, go by and they say, ta-da, <laughs> we parcel together all these customer ideas, things that we talked about years ago that we never did, things we want to do next year that we didn't think we could do, things that, that'll make these three customers really happy. And those are customers that we want to expand into. And that's also broadly applicable to the greater customer base. Here's the mock-up, here's the plan, and here's how long it'll take on the engineering side to fulfill it. And every single time they deliver that, it actually feels like magic. I'm like, oh... I just thought you disappeared for five weeks and then came back with a product. It's like truly incredible. So huge shout out to product. I I agree with you, Jody. how they do that is like pretty, pretty remarkable.
1: I've chatted with Deidre a lot of times. And I, what I want to ask her is like, where do you physically keep all this information? Like, especially remote, like, do you have like 80 million post-it notes just around your house and it's out of frame of your zoom camera? Like, I don't know why that is what is so crazy to me because it is, it's just out of the mouth of great ideas, a physical reality is born and it's it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. That's uh, beautiful and poetic. You yeah, know, I, I think that synthesis of ideas, you almost are tempted to think about it in a material way where you're like, there must be some like physical cauldron. You throw all the sticky notes yes. in and you mix it. And that's how you're right. <laughs>
1: like google sheet randomizer and it just kind (laughs) of pops out (laughs) the best idea i don't know
0: yeah well that's why we're not product people uh we could be right and and you could be but that's why uh right now you know they they know a couple things we don't i agree yeah so then that's a cool direction to explore but one of the things you mentioned i'll kind of go back to for a second is you know you'd be happy anywhere that the company puts you which first of all thank you for the amazing freaking attitude. You were just like one of the most positive, open-minded people that I've ever met. So what are some of the cultural norms that you think an organization needs to set? Some of the, the ways the organization needs to behave and and different standards that they set for their team in order to make that possible, in order to make people excited and comfortable being in any function, even if it's you know hard, like customer support where you know it's no surprise to anyone, you know, you're dealing with uh, customers who are having issues. You're dealing with agents who are frustrated. And that's like that's you know the you're triaging those interactions. So, you know, what does a company need to do in order to make that sort of experience one that makes the customer support advocates feel happy and fulfilled and measured as measured as they can be.
1: Well thank you for your compliment to me. I really appreciate you saying that. I think what has stood out at places that I've really enjoyed working like Balto is um, I think maybe equal parts of the following. It would be direct communication. And that includes, I mean, the whole idea of starting with why, but not so much starting with why, but being available to explain the why behind decisions. Because I think that That level of transparency gives a lot of empowerment to everybody. Even if I don't get to make a decision, if I know why it was made, then I can stand behind it with a lot more vigor um, and gusto. And then I think just transparency and good communication. um, And I think even valuing everybody's role, reminding everybody why their role exists and why it's helpful. And um and then I think for the person who's working at a company, do am I able to approach someone with some direct communication? Am I able to ask why? Am I able to gain clarification on what my role is, especially um, in certain situations? I guess another thing would be a good measure of autonomy. Um, And I think that is all powered by those things. Like if I know what my job is and I know why it exists, then I can go be free to do it and do it well. And I think that it's tricky to find a balance to know how many questions to ask versus just doing something and taking ownership of the result. I think that's something I've learned a lot in the past year, but um, sorry, I meant to give you a very clear answer and then I just sort of (laughs) brought it up. Different avenues, but does that answer make sense?
0: Yeah, I thought it was pretty clear. It started out with like direct communication and then went a little bit to like transparency and clarity around why decisions are made. And then it kind of shifted into uh, clarity around why the role is important and like what the role is intended to accomplish. I think those are things that we all need (laughs) from a workplace. And it's funny, Jody, I was talking to someone at Balto today, actually, and I was uh, saying, you know, imagine how hard your job would be if customer support didn't exist, poof, our customer support advocates are gone, they're gone, what would happen? And like, I could see in that other visual's face, it was like, that would suck. And it's like, exactly. So when you think about the absence of a role, that often I think highlights the importance of the role.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's funny, Mark, because I was wondering for you, when you were a CEO, I mean, it's, it's a huge title, but even you have to sit down. And I think you said this on a podcast at some point where you have to think through what am I even doing and how am I spending my time? What does that look like? Because with your role, you could almost justify anything being important and nothing being important. So, but I appreciate that you take the time to
0: To do that analysis for yourself, even so. Yeah, Jody, you're you're so right. It's it's actually something I easily do daily, and it's funny because you know there's a bunch of books written on what should a great CEO do, and it usually says a great CEO should manage the finances of the business, essentially make sure that there's enough cash in the bank and that you have the future cash that you need. A CEO should uh, help build the team and get talent, and then guide the direction of the business. And you hear that and you say, great, easy enough. But then what the books don't say is, and all the other things that are very clearly critical to the success of a business. Like, are you going to be a CEO that doesn't talk to your customers? That's insane. Okay, so now you have a fourth bucket. Are you going to be a CEO that doesn't help close important deals? That's insane. So now you have a fifth bucket. It goes on. (laughs) So I think actually that's almost like a journey that everybody has, both as a point in time of like right now, what are the most important things for me to be doing now in order to maximize my impact? But also over time, as I grow in my career and as the company's needs change, am I constantly adjusting and reprioritizing? And it's one of the things that actually the customer support world can continue to do better on is I think that a lot of times people view the customer support world as static. Like you set up your support, and you leave it. And now when people are mad, you, that you're good. <laughs> you have the mad lever that you pull. But I don't think that people often enough view customer support as dynamic and changing with the needs of the business. And that's, by the way, changing very much in the contact center with this dialogue around shifting from a cost center to a profit center. You know, it's shifting from like a necessary evil, something you have to do, to like truly the atomic unit of connection with your customer like you know one one of the things that i'll say is the the conversation between a business and their customers the atomic unit of business and it seems silly to build up a team that you're spending money on that is only tasked with getting people away from your company as fast as possible and i really do think that's changing
1: yeah you mentioned there's a there's plenty of books on being a ceo either i haven't looked carefully enough which is totally a possibility or there just aren't that many books written on customer support, because it's not super sexy. And um, I think often it is like, it's a great entry level role, or it's a way to get to know the company, or you might just, you know, you can serve that role and be there. But what is our philosophy behind it? Why, why do we make the decisions we do with every support interaction? Um, yeah, it doesn't seem to be as touted or as written about as a subject.
0: I agree. Do you have a philosophy?
1: It's hard to parse up now what would actually be my personal philosophy versus what what we talk about at in Balto support and in Balto customer success. Um, but I think empathy is one of the biggest things. I think I said that a lot when I was interviewing, but it it does have a limit. There's only so much that I can try to understand about someone else's experience, but the more I am trying, the more I'm asking questions, the more I can put myself in their shoes and try to think through why they're interacting with me the way they are, what, what would make them happy, what would help solve their problem, then I think the better of a job I will do at, in, in providing someone support.
0: Amazing. Joey, To the final question. I know that you've listened to the podcast. You knew it was coming. So let me ask you. What do you think the contact center of 2030 will look like?
1: Part of me is like, I don't know if it'll look that much different. It's just nine years. And then part of me is like, we don't even know because there's just so much changes in nine years in the world we're living in. I also for a second thought I wasn't doing the math right and that it's not nine years away, but I'm not a good at math. Yeah, I just think every channel has so much good to it. You know, I don't think voice is going to go away. I think SMS and like chatting is really convenient. It's super easy to help people out that way, but there's just something about hopping on a phone call and getting to do all that we've talked about, explain my situation, have someone else understand it, and then press some buttons and solve a problem for me. So I think the variety of channels might expand but I don't think the human voice is going to go away.
0: I agree. Jody. so good having you on today. This was awesome. I'm glad we finally got to do it. Cool. And thank you. Thank you for making the time. I know that you have a lot going on and thank you for, for joining us and sharing your perspective and your path and your story with uh, everyone on the podcast.
1: Thank you, Mark. Thank you so much for having me and for being willing to have this conversation.
0: Talk soon. You are so welcome, Jody. See ya.